this cat can hardly believe it, Mason. That's Dude, good. That's good radio. This right? is really good radio. Let's just show each other gifts. Uh, the listeners at home, take a look at my phone real quick. What do you think of this one? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Right? That's yeah. uh It has layers though. To me the the secret is that a gift that has two layers is no good. It either needs to be straight up earnest, honest about what it is, or mm-hmm. it needs to have layer and layer and layer. Mm-hmm. Two layers just makes confusion. So right. that's why I think this is kind of the perfect gift. If you like cats and pumpkins. And if you don't, you should turn off your internet right now. <laughs> turn off your podcast and go take a hot bath and think about your life. My name is Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game designer. My name is Nathan Paletta. I'm a game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. Nathan, it is growing cold. There is a high-pressure system coming in from the west. The wind is rising. The storm is almost upon us. This time on the Design Games Podcast, we're talking about playstorming. What are the benefits of bringing your unfinished design to a bunch of your friends and allies ready to give you great ideas? I feel like there's a period where playstorming, or at least the term playstorming, was kind of fashionable in a positive or a negative sense. But it was, I feel like, more common. But I don't think the practice and the frequency of the term's use correspond, which is to say I think playstorming still happens. I think it's still perfectly sound. Um, but I think the problem is that there's a – is when we mistake – and I say we just as any individual designer – mistakes playstorming for doing something it can't or isn't doing – I guess the question I have is, what are the boundaries on playstorming to you, or more accurately, what are the healthy boundaries on playstorming, do you think? And what is playstorming? So the term itself, to my knowledge, uh, I, I started hearing it when Epidai Ravishal started using it. I don't know if he got it from somewhere else, but that's where I heard like this as its own word to describe a practice. This was a number of years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. There was a period of time where people used it to describe this activity but i think that it's just a quirk of the life cycle of the term that we don't see it around so mm-hmm. much because as you say the activity itself still exists which is what, what what i see it and how i think about it kind of the stage where you have a bunch of notes and you uh, have a basic idea of the of some aspect of the game and either because you can't make a good principled decision about the next step for whatever reason or because you just want to stress test it a little bit and to see like how does this actually work when i have to explain it to someone and see what they do um you bring it to the table without a expectation that you're going to play a game and see if it works or not like that's a little too binary like Mm -hmm. the idea is more like we're gonna we're gonna try this and it's kind of open-ended and you're giving yourself room to just change things on the fly, take input from people, from, from the players about what you're doing. You may end up generating a new idea out of it that wasn't in the design previously. Right. I think one could, could visualize like the, the, the cloud of dust around Pigpen and, and the Peanuts where it's just like there's a, that's the play storm and like people might go or in a cartoon where a bunch of people have a fight and it's just a big cloud of dust with like hands and, and, and elbows and feet kicking out of it and then it clears and some humorous effect has occurred in the middle of it. Like you bring a bunch of stuff in, see how it goes, and then you get something out of it and hopefully it's productive, but it might not be. You might, you might play storm something and be like, Oh no, this was not enough game to play yet. Right. That is one totally valid result of this stage of the process. The, the root of it, I think, right. is it's play testing and brainstorming. Yeah. Put together. Yeah. Um, I know what I've always thought was interesting is that taking the testing out of the term is I think very apt in this case, because what it means is that you're not actually, you may not even have a thing to test per se. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing particularly scientific 
necessarily about doing it or else you'd be playtesting. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you say, about it's not so much about expectations. It's not about testing a specific thing, whether it's a whole thing or a micro thing, like a component or a whole. Part of it is to get ideas right. and to find out what ideas stick and what don't and what is attractive to others and what isn't. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you're like, let's just, I, I think I know how characters work. Let's just roll up some characters and uh, see if we hated doing it. <laughs> yeah. See how fun that was. And then uh, we have some skills. So let's just, uh, yeah, we're in a fight and let's use our skills with this resolution framework I have and just see what happens. And maybe that reveals this resolution framework is not appropriate for fights. Maybe it reveals I had a lot of fun making my character, but you did not have fun making your character. So let's, uh, what would make that fun? And let's try it again. Maybe it reveals, oh, this actually worked perfect for this, but I was thinking about using it over here. So let's try this and see if it also works over here. You know, you can find out lots of potential things. Find out that you have a great mechanic for some other game, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. This is the in um, more formal like graphic or product design process. There's kind of this stage of of concepting and modeling. And that's kind of analogous to me uh, where you might just make a bunch of you're you're making mockups. You're doing a bunch of like mockups really quick. You're trying to iterate really quickly through a bunch of ideas. And because once you get things out of your head and onto the page, that lets you make decisions about it. And then once you get things off of a page and into a physical form that's analogous to how they're going to eventually end up that lets you make more decisions about it and the goal is not to have a pretty thing or a functional thing even the goal is just to be like all right i drew this at this angle i'm going to make a mock-up out of cereal boxes and see what it looks like in real 3d space at that angle oh it looks really dumb okay and now i can take half an hour with more cardboard to find the angle that that works versus spend two days making sketches that have no relation to the physical world. So that's kind of analogous to this uh, to this process to me where I have some ideas. Uh, I think they're going to work. Let me get another human or two or three and throw some dice or, you know, scratch out some, 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 some maps or whatever it is and then be like, oh, you know what? When you put it that way, it does sound really dumb. I shouldn't use that term. Right. It's all all kinds of levels of things like just seeing it in the wild, as it were, lets you make some really immediate snap decisions that you might never make if you're on your in your notebook, every, you know, all day. I think that example of, of the mock up and the 3D appearance is totally great because it creates this this sense, right, where you've got your notes or you've got your design. I mean, you may not even be you know, it may not even be a design yet. It may not be anything other than bullet points in a notebook, but uh you take them to the table and you say, okay, so, you know, characters can uh, do the following things. I want to play a thing that's kind of like it's about insomniacs and maybe they, I think they might fly planes. I'm not sure. And then uh, a player says something like, like, are there stims? Can I, how long can I stay awake? And you go, boy, I hadn't even thought about that yet, about stims. That's a great question. Yeah, we don't have that yet. What do you guys think? I find most often that I don't play Storm by design. I, I use that term not just as bordering on a pun, but but intentionally, which is, I find that I play Storm when, for example, a movie has come out and I don't have as many players for my playtest group. And so I go, all right, so I've got two hours before game night. Let's see if I can figure out something to play that will scratch the itch of Insomniac Fighter Pilots because we just saw that cool Insomniac Fighter Pilot movie, as you know, there's so many of them. So let's see what we if we can do something like that and we'll play Storm it in the sense that playstorming will give me a sense of what to be worrying about, what to be thinking about. So it's it exists before, during the brainstorming process, 
of finding out what is it that is actually captivating about this idea. It's not even focus grouping. I mean, it's in, in the terms that we use for like Metatopia, right? Or something in which you focus group first, then you can go to design, then you can go to play test and that kind of thing. To me, it's, it's it can be before, during, or after focus grouping almost. That's often for a home group, playstorming is a form of focus grouping in which you come in and you say, I, I want to do a game that's about archaeology instead of combat. That's all about digging up objects and the players can generate objects and you can find cool treasures and there's a random treasure table and stuff. And that's all I got. I have a couple of bullet points and stuff and I want to see if we make characters using this game and then we use the combat system from that game or we use the treasure tables from this third game. What does that spark? Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of before, that's like the earliest step, Mm -hmm. but, but you're still also kind of focus grouping in the sense that you're having the players should be free to say things during playstorming. Yeah. In kind of, there are no bad ideas in brainstorming Mm -hmm. way that somebody can say, um, just so you know that if this rule works this way, I will never engage with it because there's no advantage. There's no way to, I, I gain nothing from doing it. Right. That kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I think there's, it's, it's the spectrum from the brainstorming end to the playtesting end, right? Kind of the, the fidelity of the material yeah. is going to slide along that spectrum as you maybe go through a couple, a couple versions of your game. You, you go from being the, the, the funnel where you're, you're putting the, the wide end out to get as much as you can. Right. Right. And then you, at some point you transition to providing the input into the funnel and funneling it down to the little, you know, to the focused design effort right. that you want other people to experience. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm not really sure if I have anything to say about the focus group interaction because that's not something I've participated in or know how it works in that. Well, I guess all I mean in this, in this case is that in the difference between in a play test versus versus playstorming with let's say casual gamers by which I mean simply people who are not going to be participating in the design. Um, to me it's a question of what what is on the table as far as feedback is what makes it feel a little focus groupy to me which is that it's one thing to tell somebody in a and I don't necessarily mean strictly a Minotopia focus group but just an early kind of pre-designed state. It's much less costly for a player to say so your game about archaeological goblins do they even have to be goblins? Mm-hmm. That question it's very helpful early in the process yes and then it's actively not helpful late in the process once right. you've already decided yes it has to be goblins and here are the reasons right and you're tired of arguing with people about whether the goblins should be goblins or not yes and the game has goblins in the title and the only the art is a goblin and they're with all, a shovel and they're all goblin yeah and everything is about mm-hmm. goblin jokes yeah yeah exactly yeah. yeah and so that's what i guess i mean is that in playstorming the relationship between what is and isn't on the table and therefore, what isn't isn't viable to come off the table mm-hmm. is different. And for everybody. Yeah. So the genesis of the term, if I recall right, and one one could dig into some historical threads and whatnot to figure this out. But I'm pretty sure that the, the idea of like, we are going to playstorm this game originally was very much in the, we have a starting point, let's figure out a destination. Mm-hmm. And then... Because that activity, I think, is on this spectrum of questioning and inquiry, one can use the term to cover, you know, these other ideas like, let's generate some ideas for this basic inspiration I have to, here are the three pieces of the game that I have that I know I want to work this way, but I don't know how to make them connect. So let's just play until we f- see what the natural connections that emerge in play are. And that, that that's why I think that notion of the mock-up is a great idea where, where you're so early in the design that as you say you've seen it from one angle mm-hmm. and then during playstorming somebody says something like yeah but how heavy is it like you know like this thing you're building how, how much does it weigh can i actually take it with me to the office and you go oh you know I, I just assumed it was made out of you know cast iron i didn't think about the fact that you have to carry it around mm-hmm. you know the game version of that where somebody right. says yeah i like this system but there's no way i'm going to keep all these numbers in my head at once 
or right. I like the system, but the character sheet's going to have to be four pages or whatever it is. And you go, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that yet. Mm-hmm. And part of that is just bringing a variety of perspectives and a variety of, of yeah. brains to it at one time to rapidly prototype. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, I mean, it's sort of in the game jam space that you get in, in some yeah. places where people do it in a weekend or whatever and they put together it. But it's not even as aspirational as that. Mm. in a way right yeah i mean your goal right could be i think being clear about what your goal is yeah. is, is the most helpful thing um in terms of having a successful playstorm where if your goal is like like here's my idea we're going to play for a weekend and we're going to end up with a game that is ready to to polish and mm-hmm. you know move on that is a thing that you will be very disappointed if you end up with a whiteboard full of notes and no game <laughs> or right. if all the place we did was tell you what not to make a game about. Right. Uh, well, if you, you know, are like, we're going to hang out for two hours. I uh, just watched, you know, Insomniacs of the Seven Skies. And I want to capture some of that experience. So let's just move these dice around and, and see how it goes. Then perhaps you will be well served by your two hours of, uh, you know, rolling some some fate dice and finding out that one of your pilots goes to sleep and tanks the the whole mission. And that's how that goes. So methodology, goals, perspectives, mm-hmm. these sorts of things. Essentially, it's a lot of the same stuff we've been talking about. Yeah. But it's a question of the dials on each one. How, how What's turned up? What's what's not turned way up? And there's not necessarily that, you know, oh, well, if you if you don't have goals, it's not playstorming. Or if you have, I mean, you should always have a goal. doesn't matter yeah. if it's playstorming or not, right? I think it's always a good idea. Not to mention the fact that in play, having goals set for players, having goals set for the GM who is a player having this reliable set of goals so that people always know kind of what the next thing that we're trying to accomplish is. Mm. Even if that is simply, I, I want to know which half of these mechanics that I kind of jotted down are actually fun. The relationship between them is sort of what changes to make playstorming something other than just brainstorming alone or playtesting formally. Mm. One other really important benefit of playstorming is that you can get those different perspectives because it's easy to get very tunnel vision-y without even knowing it, uh, especially if you are early in the process and you haven't really specified or you haven't really pinned down uh, your emotions about a thing and to how it's actually going to work. Just getting someone who isn't in your head to be there and question you, just give you basic questions about things they don't understand, can be wildly helpful early in the process. Those questions are often more valuable than, I mean, than whatever answer you come up with that, that night during the playstorming mm-hmm. is, is secondary to the fact that now you have the question. Just writing down the questions, like, why would you ever take this skill? I think it's important. That's why I put it in. But I have not communicated why it's important, you know, or you're right. I made these name lists and there are, and they're all male names. That is a bias on my part that is not reflective of how I feel about how this game world works. So... People from different backgrounds, different perspectives. I think this is one benefit of doing some kind of concepting, playstorming, yeah. brainstorming session at a convention can be helpful because you might access people who aren't in your usual circles and get those questions that are very obvious to them that aren't obvious to you. And getting those early as opposed to late in the process means that your internal resistance to not wanting to change things is much lower than as you finalize things and decide like this is how it's going to be the effort to go back and change basic mm-hmm. assumptions becomes more and more maybe to your detriment. Mindfully looking for other voices is a, is a perfectly great use of, of the playstorming technique in your arsenal, I think. I think playstorming without some sense of 
your own not necessarily design goals for the game that you're playstorming because you might not you might still be very early in the process, but your design goals and abilities as a designer. Mm, yeah, that kind of self awareness is important to bring into playstorming, or else what what I feel like can happen, and I and I've seen this happen at conventions where somebody comes into playstorm or something, or comes to something very loose, and it ends up becoming somebody else's game. Yes, certainly at the table at least during that span of playstorming, right yes. where you go. Well, it turns out, you know, that uh, uh, Annie had this this cool idea for a game, and Doug now thinks he's going to go off and make that game because he took a bunch of stuff from brainstorming and it's like, well, from playstorming, and he feels ownership over a bunch of material mm-hmm. that he invented at the table. But it's like, yeah, but we were playstorming f- for Annie's game here. To me, one of the questions that's fraught in playstorming is ownership. Mm. Who's playstorming? Like, if you have a bunch of designers playstorming together. There, you can either end up with like three totally wildly radically different games on the same sort of subject, which could be really fun, or as I've seen sometimes happen, people say, well, that mechanic is really kind of mine. I just said it out loud during a playstorming session, and they put it in their game, and I'm really upset about it, or what have you. I mean, I've never seen it go that far, except for the fact that I suspect it's just because that kind of fraught element doesn't either make it to the public or doesn't make it to published games. Well, yeah. But ownership is a question. It is. I mean, I have two responses to that, one of which is, for for me personally just for like my comfort level yeah. and how, you know, I like to approach these things. I wouldn't be playstorming a very, very beginning of the process or high question quotient set of material with people that I don't trust. Right. You know, whether that's home, um, you know, the people I play with all the time or at a convention, but with people who are strong friends and, and allies. And the other is that by the time an idea gets integrated into all the other ideas it will it will change and it will no longer if it doesn't change it is probably so atomic that Mm -hmm. it's not like it's this unique beautiful butterfly right right and if it is not that atomic then it will probably change so much that it will no longer resemble that original idea in the form that it was proposed can I toss this back as a metaphor to see if I'm getting what you're saying right? Sure. So that if, for example, let's say that you have something that's, you know, a, a little mechanism like a heart, mm-hmm. right? If it's the heart of your game, mm-hmm. right, every game has something beating right. at the center of it, that the whole body is still going to be different, that right. it's still going to be its own thing. Yeah. But if it's not that heart, if it's the body, mm-hmm. bodies are all different anyway. Like by the time it grows up into a full game, even if it has a different heart, it's still going to be its own unique individual. Yes. It's going to take on the designer's characteristics. and Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and like just the idea of if Doug proposes using this mechanic with fudge dice and then my game still uses fudge dice at the end, I'm not stealing Doug's mechanic. <laughs> right, right. Like that's an atomic little thing. Like the fact that uh, that we use the same size dice or use character classes or use the six stats mm-hmm. from D&D, you know, those things aren't, in my view... If someone's getting hyped up over those being stolen from them, like I question the originality that they brought to that idea in the first place, I guess is all I'm saying. I think that's fair. I mean, I also think that it's interesting because I, I agree certainly that when you have those kind of combinative ideas, the combinations of things are going to seem, it's like, well, you know, it's like, it's a re- like a recipe for an apple pie. Even if it's a great recipe for an apple pie, it's an apple pie. We know about those, mm-hmm. right? You're not, you didn't invent the apple pie and you probably didn't reinvent the apple pie. You may, right. you may have got a great way to make apple pie. In design, especially in the game space, which is so such a combination of expression and procedure and both innovation and recombination, mm-hmm. I, I agree certainly in the sense that worrying about whether or not somebody's going to steal from you during playstorming is like this is the idea stage where ideas are both cheap and also non-actionable. They're not right. practical. They're not, it's not a thing yet. 
Mm-hmm. It's an idea. Right. It's not worth anything. Uh, an execution is worth something. I guess my way of agreeing is to say that very often, because I've, I've been in that spot where either I've seen or, or been myself worried that another designer is going to not so much steal a thing, because I think that, that that in itself implies damage done. Mm-hmm. But that they're going to go off and make a better thing with a similar sure. idea. Well, there's the like, oh, they're going to get there first. Right. 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 That happens. You know, sure. you, you see something out in the world and you're like, oh, I, I had an idea that could have led to that. Yeah. And I really want to make it happen. But now that already exists. So that has now changed the landscape in which my idea can can exist. Right. Right. And then if it so happens that like, oh, I playstormed that game with that, that person and now they've executed on that idea. That can that can be a bummer. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's all I'm getting at is that it's not that it's that the feeling isn't genuine yeah. as much as it's also that, yeah, but if you make your thing, if you both make your things, mm. they're going to end up different enough. And right. now, the fact that the where they are related back in their ancestry in this playstorming session mm-hmm. becomes a point of interesting trivia. Right. But it doesn't necessarily become the defining feature or the prize for the innovation award for either one of them. Even though the landscape has changed for your thing, your thing will still be different than their thing. Yeah, it'll still be your thing. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I was taught when I was briefly an anthropology major and I was learning about evolution in the human animal uh, that has always stuck with me that I think is it's one of the few things that is distinct to playstorming that is not necessarily completely germane to the rest of design, which is this. Evolution is not a goal-directed process. An animal does not evolve so that it can breathe air. It eventually develops and mutates into the state that it can breathe air and now it has an advantage. And now its children can breathe air and as a result they can go places that they couldn't go before. A giraffe does, did not grow a long neck to reach those the, those leaves at the top of the tree. The giraffes with the longest necks were able to eat what other animals didn't eat and survive. And so it just kept passing along the mutation. So even though you still want to, I think, have goals in playstorming, the question of end goals for the game, you can rewrite goals even during playstorming and say oh, absolutely. And, and abandon the idea where – you know, this, maybe maybe this Insomniac submarine game should be maybe, maybe just abandon the whole submarine thing. Maybe they're fighter pilots, mm-hmm. right? But so that notion during playstorming is where you're rather than saying you're trying to enact a vision or find out how to execute a vision or how to portray a vision that you've got, it can be about finding out which of these ten components, how many of these ten components are actually central to that vision. Right. What's trunk and what's stem and what's mm-hmm. branch and what's twig? Yeah, like we've talked about before, this is this is another opportunity to loop back and examine your mm-hmm. initial vision in light of where you are now. Yeah, and that's the the benefit of play swimming is that you're such a short distance down the road mm-hmm. that you're that not a lot is at stake if you start calving right. off huge sections that you thought would be essential to the game that turns out aren't. You, you haven't sunk a lot of time and effort into something that you then decide to change. Right, right. That's the the benefit of doing stuff like this early, you know, or playing and be like, you know what. I've been talking about this Insomniac fighter pilot game forever, but it turns out that the uh, the Insomniac part kind of is boring. And it's just the fighter pilot part that people are excited about and that I'm excited about. So maybe maybe they won't be Insomniacs anymore and I'll focus on the other stuff. Right. Or you learn, no one likes the Insomnia part. How can I make that compelling? Right. Right. Those are the two ways to contrast or two potential ways to contrast with your initial vision. That's a great, that's that, that's terrific because to me one of the things that does point out and it is what I use playstorming for is to find out how important is this part of the concept to me really. If, if I encounter resistance and my reaction is, all right, fine, out it goes. Mm-hmm. Well, I just learned something valuable. Yeah, if I, I encounter resistance and I want to double down, mm-hmm. well then, yeah, I need, I need to get designing on that so that it works, so that it's not boring or stupid for people. <laughs> yeah, I don't like mindfully kind of playstorm in this manner so much but when i do it's often because i'm i'm 
trying to figure out how to make a thing that isn't working work. That's a lot of like, I'm kind of usually not bringing this kind of stuff to the table until a little later in the process. Maybe even after like a play test where it's like, let's play what we have and see how it works. And goes like, this doesn't work. And then the next step can be to step back and be like, okay, well, what if it works like this? What if we play this for an hour this way and then play it for another hour this way? What if I change where in the arc of the character this, you know, enters into the the mechanics? What if this doesn't have any mechanics associated with it at all? Like right. those kinds of things. Right. And you can kind of hunt around the edges a little bit. Because I think that's a real, having that emotional response of like, no, you don't get it. This should be important can be a very strong indicator of where to focus your efforts next. And that puts you in the design position, which I think is a great headspace to be in, which is asking yourself the difference between is it important and how should it be important? Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, please consider supporting us at Patreon so that we can continue to bring these episodes to you. My Patreon is at patreon.com slash My Patreon is at patreon.com slash wordwill. You can find all of our older episodes, as well as everything else Design Games Podcast related, at designgamespodcast.com. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just...